Morning. So, <clears throat> this morning I would like to start with a true story, if I may. So, <laughs> when I was younger and somewhat more foolish than I am now, I used to enjoy playing five-a-side football. Um, now, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, five-a-side football is a violent sport. Uh, it's a contact sport. It probably is somewhere between kind of like kickboxing and karate in terms of violence. Um, and because of that, I used to get injured with fairly alarming regularity. I mean, normally it was just cuts and bruises and bruised egos and things like that. Sometimes it's a bit more substantial. And I remember the one time I went in for a tackle, and being an Englishman, when I go in for a tackle, I go in for a tackle. And um, I came off a bit worse than the other guy and ended up having a tear in my Achilles tendon at the back of my foot. Um, I limped home that day uh, to my wife. And uh, as always, the conversation went a bit like this. So she looks at me with folded arms and she goes, what now? And uh, I go, um, back of the ankle probably the Achilles, she says, uh, you expecting sympathy? <laughs> and I go, not really. Um, and there's a reason for that, you see, because Renee for quite some time had been telling me that five-a-side was a silly sport, and she was getting a bit bored of preparing the ice packs and the ibuprofen <laughs> for when I got home, because she knew how it was going to go down. Uh, but anyway, you know, she patched me up that evening, and I checked my ankle out, and I was told six weeks of rest to let it recover. So the next week, the message comes through on the WhatsApp group. It says, hey, guys, who's in for the fives this week? And I go, oh. And I look down at my foot, and I realize that I can't see where my calf ends and my ankle begins because the swelling is so bad. So I send a message, no, not this week. Next week, message comes in. Who's in for fives? The mister says, no, you don't. But I think, no, 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 I'm, I'm getting a bit stronger, you know, maybe, I think, you know. So I, uh, I just get up and maybe I kind of like, you know, see if I can go for a quick jog and, oh. My screams were so loud that I scared away all the cats in the neighborhood. So I realized it wasn't going to happen. Following week, the message comes through, who's in for fives? The wife says, no, you don't. I think, no, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm jogging again. So, you know, I think before I reply, let me get the ball and go out to the backyard and just kick the ball against the wall. So I kick the ball against the wall. And it feels like someone's got a tennis racket and just go bang to my leg. So I'm like, okay. I stayed. Next week, message, who's in for fives? Oh, it's getting hard. I'm getting fidgety. I really want to be in that pitch. Wife says, no, you don't. But here's the thing. I'd been jogging again. I'd been getting back into the swing of things. And I thought, you know what? I know my body. I'm feeling good. I can kick a ball. I can run around without scaring away all the cats. I can do this. I'd been chatting to some friends that had similar injuries. And they were like, oh, no, you know, three, four weeks can come right. If the tear is minor, you should be good. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I can do it. The wifey says, I strongly advise you do not play football. And I'm like, 
So I go down to the football pitch, and I run onto the football pitch, and I play that first half, and I am back, baby. I am playing. I'm like, you know, it's, it's a dream. I'm back better than ever because I'm passionate to be on that field. It is awesome. We come off at halftime, and we have some drinks, and I'm like, yeah, let's go again. This is awesome. I run onto the pitch, and then I'm really back with a bang. And that bang is the sound of me hitting the floor as my Achilles goes, So they carry me to the car, um, and it's a good job I've got an automatic. So I drive home, and I'm sure you can imagine how awkward that conversation was. <laughs> so my wife is gracious and loving, and she did forgive me, and you know she's sitting here, so it all worked out all right in the end. But the lesson I'm trying to tell you here is that through all of that, I had someone giving me good counsel. I chose to do my own thing because I thought I knew best. I did not. I think many of us make decisions in life pretty much like this. We think we know best. We make decisions that are wise in our own eyes, but they're actually foolishness. Some of you sitting here may be in the middle of the consequences of a decision that you made, and it wasn't a sensible decision you made. So this morning, this preach is titled, Be Not Wise in Your Own Eyes. And I want to help us understand how we can make good decisions in life and how to deal with bad decisions we might have made. Proverbs 3, 5 to 8 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So I'm not going to use my stupid footballing story um, as the illustration this morning. I'm actually going to use Joshua from the Bible. Seems kind of appropriate as we're Joshua generation, right? So Joshua is going to be the, uh, the appropriate bloke uh, I'm going to use. Now I'm going to give you some context of the story. So Joshua... He's been told by God that the promised land is full of evil people. And he and the Israelites are supposed to go into the promised land and drive out, wipe out, actually, all of the evil peoples in the land because that's the land that God is giving to the Israelites, right? You know that story. So he crosses the Jordan, and then they go, and the Israelites take the city of Jericho and the city of Ai. Now, there's big cities, powerful cities, but they take them because God is with them. And he then renews the covenant. So after he's conquered those cities, Israel gathers together. They renew their covenant with God. Everything is going A-OK. It's brilliant. Awesome. And then in Joshua 9, there's this little side story. So what happens is that Joshua and the people are pausing, renewing the covenant before they carry on their campaign. And then this group of travelers comes to them in the camp. 
These guys, they're tired, they're wearing tatty clothes, all of their wineskins are empty and dry, all of their food is stale, and they say this, Joshua 9, 9 to 11. They said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard report of him and all that he did in Egypt, all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Wow. News of God has spread. The amazing things that God is doing far and wide. And these people, they're now ready to serve God. So they come and they say, listen, we've come from far. We've heard of this amazing stuff that God is doing. We want to serve you. How cool is that? It's awesome. Incredible thing that God is doing. So how would you respond if you were Joshua and his men? How would you respond if these weary, tattered people came and they said, we want to serve your God. Make a covenant with us. What would you do? Seriously, what would you do? Would you send them away? No? Would you feed them? Look after them? Make a covenant with them? Yeah, probably. Some of you know this story. So, let's see what actually happens. Joshua 9, 14 to 15, says how Joshua responded. So the men, that's Joshua's men, took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. So Joshua's men checked the provisions. They were like, yeah, they're dry, they're stale. They must have traveled far. And they're like, yeah, well, we're going to be good to them. We're going to be gracious to them. Let's, let's do the loving thing. Let's take these people and make a covenant with them to protect them and let them live. So <laughs> I'm going to come back to that story, and we'll see how that panned out. But before I do that, I just want to look at how they made that decision. There are two things, two idols that Joshua's men used to make those decisions. And I think it's the same two idols that we use to make most of our decisions in life, okay? The first idol is this. It's the idol of independence. In verse 14, it says that the men did not ask for counsel from the Lord. They made the decision themselves. They did what they thought was right. We all like making decisions ourselves because we all like to feel like we're in control. Now, during his long imprisonment, uh, Nelson Mandela would often recite to other prisoners a, a short poem written in 1875 by an author named William Ernest Henley. Now, the poem is called Invictus. Some of you may know it. Some of you might have seen the movie 
you know, Matt Damon and Morgan Freeman doing hideous South African accents. Um, <clears throat> now, that poem, Invictus, is supposed to be inspiring, okay? But listen to the words, and then tell me what you think it's saying. So this is the poem, Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of rotten tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Sounds grand. Sounds profound. This, my friends, this poem is the anthem of the modern ungodly age. My soul is unconquerable. I am unafraid. I am the captain of my own soul. Society actually thinks it's admirable to be like this, to say that we are in control. I've got it together. I make my own decisions. I am the boss. That apparently is good. We should aspire to this. Isn't that how sin started? Genesis 3, 1 to 6 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to husband who was with her, and he ate. Eve was, being, was drawn to being wise in her own eyes. <laughs> She judged that tree. She was like, I think I can make my own mind up about this. It looks good. It's going to make me smarter. Yeah. I don't like being told what to do. I think I'll have a bit of that tree. The problem was this. The, ser the serpent had sold a lie. You see, the, the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't the tree of the wisdom of good and evil. It's just knowledge. To eat from it was foolishness. They increased in knowledge, yes, but it was a foolish thing to do. And I think that is exactly what the world tells us. The world fills us with knowledge. They take knowledge, they put a hat on it, and they say, that's wisdom. It's not wisdom. It's just knowledge with a hat on. Every single one of us, if you've got a mobile device, you're a voice command away from Google Assistant or Siri giving you the entire knowledge of the world at your fingertips. 
the more wise we think we are, actually the more foolish. It's just knowledge. It's not wisdom. Problem is, the decisions we make are often based on that. What we figure for ourselves and not on godly wisdom. And I think one of the tricks that the enemy uses most is he pokes us with pride and stirs up the pride of our own knowledge and our own sense of control. So before the enemy comes with a plan to take us overseas and away from fellowship, how often do we get a phone call from someone saying, you know what, your skills would be invaluable in the UK. You're great at your job. I've seen how good you are in your job. You'd be awesome in the UK. Ooh, pride. Suddenly, now the enemy is set up. He can now hit us with something. Because now, pride is stirred. Before the enemy comes with a plan to get us involved in an inappropriate conversation with a woman who isn't our wife, how often before that do we get a compliment? Oh, you're such a great guy. You're so awesome. You got away with words. Stirring up that pride. Before the enemy comes to cause an offense in the church with somebody, how often does someone just before that come and say something like, you're such a great person, you're awesome, you know what? If someone thinks worse of you, it's only because they don't understand you. Stirring something. Getting our pride and self-control going. They say pride comes before a fall. Fall is always a result of a decision we make. Joshua and his men did not seek God's counsel. They made the decision themselves because they believed they could make the decision. To make the decision, they based it on their second idol. And it's the same idol that we use. So the first idol is the idol of independence. The second idol is the idol of intellect. Now, some of you may have heard of a word puzzle called Wordle. Anyone know Wordle? Who's done Wordle before? Yeah, quite a few of us. All right. I quite like Wordle. Um, I do it occasionally. Um, have you noticed how quite a few people post their Wordle scores on Facebook? Especially the good ones. You know, if you solved it in two goes, you post it. If you took six, yeah, that can wait, right? But people post their results on these things. It's not just Wordle. It's like, on my Facebook feed, you often have people posting about, you know, um, I, I've managed to figure out how many triangles there are in that diagram. Well, I figured out the name of Mary's father's fifth daughter or whatever it is. People post all these things about how smart they are to figure something out. Why do we do that? It's because we need other people to know how smart we are, because it's an idol. And if they aren't smart enough to figure it out, we need to tell them how smart we are. That's why I'm wearing this shirt. Yeah, actually it is rocket science. It goes way further than Wordle or Sudoku though, because we actually take pride in the fact that our entire society, our entire worldview is built on man's intellect. Any concept outside of that intellect, we rule out as unthinkable. Because man's intellect is the ultimate. We can figure it all out. 
The idea that the God created the world for a purpose, the concept that God could have destroyed the world with a worldwide flood, any concept that these could possibly be true, well, we just mock people like that. We exclude them from scientific establishments because our intellect knows better. God knew that we'd make intellect our idol. God knew. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Peter wrote this. This is 2 Peter 3, 3 to 6. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of this coming? His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that was then existed was deluged with water and perished. Do you see what Peter's saying here? He's saying, people are going to say that nothing's ever changed. People are going to say that God didn't create the world, and people are going to say there was never a flood. Sound familiar? Our secular worldview, we're so dedicated to this splendid idol of intellect that we've deliberately forgotten truth. Something, actually, I, I do believe, something inside all of us stirs. The Bible tells us that. Something inside of us tells us that there is a creator God, that he does want a relationship with us. But what we do is we squish it down. We say, our intellect knows better. So we squish that thing. Why do we do it? Well, probably because we're terrified of being called stupid. <laughs> we need to seem smart. Joshua and his leaders, they took pride in their intellect. They felt they didn't need to ask for God's opinion on what to do with these wandering travelers because they reckoned they could figure it out themselves. They had the stuff up top to figure it. Uh, they weren't stupid. I mean, they did check it out. Uh, in Joshua 9, verses 7 to 9, you can see them trying to figure out who these folks are. Um, so it says this, the men of Israel said to the Hivites, that's who the people were, perhaps you live among us. How can we then make a covenant with you? Because they would have been obliged to wipe them out, right? They said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They then interrogate them. They investigate. They look at their supplies and things. Um, the supplies were found to be, quote, dry and crumbly. Which is great if you're making a Bramley apple crumble. Um, not so great if that's the food that you're trying to live on. Okay, so obviously they've come from afar. It seemed good to them, gracious that they made a covenant with these people. But their covenant with these people was based on two idols independence and intellect. What was the consequence of the decision that these guys made? Well, <laughs> who were these weary travelers that had traveled from afar to serve the God of the Israelites? Yeah, they weren't. Spoiler alert, okay? Joshua 9, verses 3 to 5, actually tells us who these people were. Okay, this is just before they come to the, the Israelites. When the inhabitants of Gibeon, now Gibeon was basically the next city that would have been come to after Jericho and Ai, basically, okay? So this was a city that the Israelites were supposed to wipe out. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, 
They, on their part, acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. These were people that Israelites were supposed to wipe out. But they knew it, and they knew they were on the losing side. So they were like, uh, Ashley, you know what we're going to do? We're going to trick the Israelites into making a deal with us. Do you realize that's what the enemy does to you? He'll come to you with something in life that seems reasonable. It's going to appeal to your logic. It's going to appeal to your good nature. You're going to think about it long and hard. Weigh it up. It's going to seem so right. You're going to say, surely this is what God wants. I've thought about it a lot. The job that seems so awesome ticks every box. Looks like God's favor. Could be a Gibeonite. The relationship that seems so perfect. The girl that ticks every box. God's favor? She could be a Gibeonite. The overseas transfer that seems so awesome. Just what you've always wanted in the country, you've always wanted to go to. Surely, this is what God wants. Surely. Could be a Gibeonite. Could be something that the enemy has dressed up and is tricking you into to distract you from the actual call that God has on your life. Now, the Israelites have made this covenant. They've accepted these people into, the, into their land. And now they're forced into accepting it for good. Joshua 9, 16 to 20 says this. At the end of three days after they'd made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. So they figured out who the Gibeonites were. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. We make bad decisions when we don't ask God. You might need to live with those decisions. Because with God, even if we made a bad decision, he needs us to honor him in the place that we find ourselves. Sometimes we cannot back out of a bad decision if it would dishonor God to do so. So if you've taken that job, the awesome one, yay, and now you've got the boss from hell, ooh, honor your boss. If you've married a guy that was the knight in shining armor, and now you realize that he's actually not the guy that you thought he would be, honor your husband. If you took a loan, 
because the interest rates were great. You could afford the repayments, blah, 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 blah. It's just what you needed to get out of a hole. Now you realize that it's a bit of a squeeze. Honor your creditors. If it would dishonor God by violating the situation you find yourself in, honor God first. There are consequences if you do not. The Gibeonites, they're now part of the people of Israel. Some years later, King Saul, who was a bit of a zealous guy, he kind of tended to act first and think later, he attacked the Gibeonites in Israel. So these Gibeonites that the Israelites had promised to protect, King Saul went for them and dishonored that covenant. And sometime after that, under King David, there was a famine in the land of Israel. It says this, this is 2 Samuel 21, uh, 1 and 2. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. That's a long time. David sought the face of the Lord, and the Lord said, there is blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. And if you actually read on, what happens is that seven of Saul's sons are given to the Gibeonites to kill in order to repay the blood guilt. And then the famine lifts. The point is this. If God needs you to stay in a situation to honor him, even if it's a consequence of a bad decision where you didn't ask God to start with, honor God. Don't think you can get out of the situation without consequence. Has this been a bit heavy? Um, I'm going to try and land now with an encouragement, okay? So, what should Joshua and his men have done? What should they have done? Consulted God. And that's the beauty of this. It's that simple. Yeah, it's really not that hard, okay? Just talk to God. What does that look like? How do we ask God? We pray. We read his word. We ask other people to pray. Then we listen. And God will speak. Sometimes God will speak through prophecy. Sometimes God will speak through something in his word. Sometimes it'll be an assurance deep down within you. Sometimes God will speak to you audibly in the middle of the night. Done. Yeah, but never happened to me. But it has happened to people. That's awesome. Sometimes he'll just simply speak to us by giving us wise counsel. It's simple. Pray. Ask other people to pray and listen. And this is the beauty of being part of a body like this. No decision you make has to be on your own. <laughs> yeah. It's not rocket science. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Kegs. That's so true. It's not rocket science. It's simple. This is accountability. It's for our own protection. It's to look after us so we can make good decisions. A lot of people think accountability is a scummy thing. They say, why do I have to submit this decision I'm making to someone? Well, you don't have to, but it's a jolly good idea if you do. We can look after each other. And even if we've made a poor decision and are we living with the consequences, 
It's not the end of the road. Because God is a God of the second chances, the third chances, and a God of redemption. If you look at the story of the Gibeonites, this is the place where Israel now found themselves, with the Gibeonites in their midst. The Gibeonites became servants in the temple. One of David's mighty men was a Gibeonite. When Nehemiah started to rebuild Jerusalem, it says the Gibeonites were there with him. You can redeem a situation you're in if you honor God in that situation. And this is the heart of God. So if you're in a marriage that's gone sour, pray for your spouse. Commit that relationship to God and see what he is capable of doing. If you're in a job which has just gone pants, pray for your co-workers. Pray for that boss. Even when he dumps on you from a great height, pray for him. See if God can do amazing things in the workplace. Whatever situation you're in, pray. Commit it to God. For some of you, there might be one massive decision you have to make with God. You see, we make little decisions all the time, good ones and bad ones. We're going into Christmas now. I guarantee that over this Christmas break, you're going to have the opportunity to make good and bad decisions. <laughs> make good ones. Ask God. <laughs> Stay close to him. But there might be one massive decision you need to make. You see, no matter how wise you think you are, no matter how much those idols of intellect and independence are firmly rooted in you, God isn't impressed with that. He doesn't care about that. Because he's got something better for you. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 to 23 says this. It's 1 Corinthians 3, 18 to 23. Thank you. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Spoken about decisions this morning, the things that stop us making good decisions, you might have the most important decision of your life to make. And it might be those two idols holding you back. You might be holding on to your knowledge, to your intellect, to your pride, your position. This morning, God is telling you it's futile. If you're prepared to surrender your independence and your intellect to God, what is the reward? It says there, it's everything. It's life. It's life in the present. Then you die. Then it's life again, eternal life in Jesus Christ. For my money, eternal life is a bit better than just appearing quite smart in this world. It's a good deal. 
See, Jesus came to earth and died on a cross because every single one of us, we've made decisions that separate us from God. We've made decisions that take us away from him. That's sin. And our reward for that is separation from God for eternity. But Jesus came and died that if only we would surrender ourselves, all we are to him, and lay hold of him, we get the rewards. Healing to the flesh, refreshment to the bones, and life everlasting. So Ozzy's just come to me with a testimony of something he felt when um, he felt uh, wisdom of the world trying to attract him from what God wanted. And I'd just like him to share quickly, if that's okay, just for two minutes. Um, So when I just got saved, um, my stepdad had been hounding me for years and years. He wanted me to go to Scotland because he had started a business there, um, and he wanted me to work for him. Now, if... He, the one day he phoned me and he said, Austin, you're wasting your life. You're wasting your time. You need to come. Like, you're going to earn three times the amount of money you're earning. I'm going to make you a director in the, in the company. And I just got saved. And I, was, and I just started, like, sort of learning, okay, God has a will for my life. And I need to submit. And I need to follow the leaders. And I need to listen to them. And I was just, I was sort of confused. I didn't know what to do. And so I prayed and I asked God, God, what must I do? You know, I prayed and I asked him. And uh, actually the next day I was driving through Athlone. And um, I just started seeing signs. I, I, saw, I kept on driving past uh, different churches, St. John the Baptist Church, St. John this. And then a couple minutes later, my Uncle John phoned me. Oh, I said his name. My, my uncle, and, uh, and, and so my uncle had been seeing a spiritual medium. And the spiritual medium uh, told him that he needs to tell me. He said, Austin, are you, are you sitting down? I need to talk to you. I was like, yeah, okay, cool, no problem. What's going on? He said, look, I've been going to this lady um, Ursula, and she's a spiritual medium, and, 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 and she says um, that, that, that your angels are so proud of you, so proud of you that you've given your life to, to the Lord. They're so proud of you. You've done so well. They're, they're so happy for you. Um, and, uh, and, and you need to go to Scotland. You need to go. Now, I didn't, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my, my, my mom. I didn't tell my brother. I didn't tell anyone that this is what happened. My dad had phoned me the night before, and I prayed and asked God, like, what must I do? And I was young, and I didn't know what to do. So I, I was like, Lord, is this you? Is this how you speak? And I remember, um, I think community was that Wednesday. This was on, like, Monday, Tuesday. And I went, and Delia and Cole were my leaders at the time in my community. And I went to Delia, and I was like, this happened. Like, what do you think? And she's like, not the Lord. <laughs> like, she's like, definitely not the Lord. This is not good. You will, like, it's almost like that thing. You will surely die, you know, like that prophecy um, that was said over the people. And um, I just want to say that if I didn't, if I'd gone to Scotland, it would have been great. I would have become a director in a company. I would have been earning a lot of money. But I wouldn't have got married. I wouldn't have been part of this church. I wouldn't have uh, come into what the Lord has called me into. And so I just felt to share that testimony on the back of what you're saying. I think there's a reason. I think there's people maybe that are being tested with things at the moment and, and that you need to submit it to your leaders because the devil's out to destroy you. Thanks, Ozzy. 
The devil came and touched his pride, eh? You've done well, my boy. Now go into everything that God has for you. It wasn't what God wanted for him. 